This is Telling the Truth. Today, Stewart is continuing a series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World. How should and can you think clearly about those in authority over you? That's what we'll find out from Stewart in just a moment. In Stuart Briscoe's insightful six-message series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World, he helps you understand how God's Spirit works to transform you and renew your thoughts no matter what's going on around you. And through your support today, you can help others experience transformation in their lives as well. We'll say thanks for your gift by sending you a copy of Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World. So call today to request your copy. 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Here's Stuart Briscoe with Thinking Clearly About Authority on today's Telling the Truth. Remember what the political structure was under which Jesus was living and under which the Romans were living. Very, very different from ours today. And yet they were told to be submissive to it. Notice the two reasons why Christians should be submissive to government authority. Enunciated for us in verse 5. Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. There is one reason, a very good reason, for towing the line as far as the government is concerned, and that is, if you run afoul of the government, you may finish up getting punished. You're afraid of being punished, and therefore, out of sheer fear, you do what the government says. That is one motivation, hardly the highest or the noblest. There's another one that is higher and nobler, and that is, as a matter of conscience, we respect and submit to government authority. As a matter of conscience, what does that mean? It means that if I understand the principle of divine authority being delegated to societal structures, that government is one of them, as a matter of conscience, I will respond to divinely delegated authority. Let me give you a very simple example. There are two reasons why people tend to obey the speed limit. One is out of fear. They know that if they break the speed limit and they're caught, they will get a citation. And therefore, out of fear, some people actually obey the speed limit. There are other people, a very small minority, who obey the speed limit as a matter of conscience. And as a matter of conscience, they would feel it would be inappropriate for them to contravene that particular speed limit. I don't want to spend a long time on this relatively insignificant area. It serves, however, to illustrate the point. So, what is the responsibility of the believer to the government? It is to have a submissive attitude. Secondly, it is to have a cooperative attitude. Notice verses 6 and 7 of Romans 13. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay them. Revenue, pay it. Respect, respect them. Honor, honor them. In other words, the attitude to government should not be one of bucking the system and grumbling and growling. It should be an attitude of glad, willing cooperation. That's what he said. 
Remember the situation in which they were living. Entirely different and infinitely more difficult than anything that we know here. And yet the teaching is very, very straightforward. I don't have time to get into that, but commentators believe that the reason he mentions taxes specifically was that there was a lot of argument going on in Rome at that particular time concerning taxes. One of the Caesars had got up and said, Friends, Romans, countrymen, read my lips. And another one who succeeded him had got up and said that he promised that he would only tax the rich, but he would keep changing his mind as to who they were. That was the situation (laughs) in those particular days. Well, whatever the situation was, a submissive attitude and a cooperative attitude was what was necessary. The third thing that was appropriate for the Christian's response was a prayerful attitude. We've already seen 1 Timothy 2, in which the Christians are encouraged to pray for everybody, listen carefully, including kings and those in authority over us. Why in the world should we do that? In order that they might govern under God and create a positive environment in which men and women would be free to honor and to serve and to worship the Lord. It seems to me that we need to take this admonition very, very seriously indeed. Because quite frankly, it is much more easy, and I'm talking to me, it is much more easy to be skeptical and cynical than prayerful of those in governmental authority over us. And I believe that one of the great needs of repentance in the Christian church at the present time is repentance at this particular area of prayerlessness for those in authority over us. There, very briefly then, is the biblical explanation from Romans 13 on the role of the state and the responsibility of the believer. Now, it may be objected at this particular point that neither Jesus nor Paul got themselves involved in the political scene. They very carefully steered away from it. John Stott, however, suggests that the reason that they did not get involved was simply that they could not. There was no way in which they could realistically be involved because they were totally disenfranchised. There was no avenue for them to do it at all. And John Stott suggests that the fact that they did not because they could not is no reason why we should not be committed to functioning as the church in a correct relationship to the church. But herein lies the big question. What is the correct relationship of the church to the state? Thinking clearly about authority. What should your attitude to those in authority be? That's part of what Stuart Briscoe is showing us on today's Telling the Truth, and he'll be back with much more in just a moment. Your support helps Telling the Truth reach across the globe to share the love of God and message of Christ with people everywhere. So call today to request your copy of Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World when you give to help more people experience life in Christ. 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388, or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. 
For many, our smartphones have become our social connection. But we want to help you make a spiritual connection with the Tell Me the Truth mobile app. You can listen to daily programs, engage in Bible reading plans, journal, and share your thoughts and prayers on the community wall. Get the Telling the Truth app through your app store or log on to tellingthetruth.org slash mobile app. Remember, you can also give to support Telling the Truth on our mobile app. Now let's return to Stuart Briscoe on today's Telling the Truth for more about thinking clearly about authority. Robinson McQuilkin, in his excellent book, Biblical Ethics, suggests four ways of looking at it. He asks four rhetorical questions. Should the church dominate the state? Should the state dominate the church? Should church and state have mutually exclusive roles? Should church and state have mutually influential roles? Now, it'd be nice to have lots of time to look into these four possibilities. Let me skim through them quickly, and I trust there'll be something for you to think about. Should church dominate state? Let me give you two examples from history where this happened with desperate results. In the 13th century, Pope Innocent wrote a papal bull in which he said it was perfectly appropriate for the church functioning in control of everything to bring heretics to trial, and if necessary, to bring them to recant through torture. And so the church was advocating a fiery trial of would-be heretics to the point of actually encouraging torture. This inquisition went on for 300 years and is one of the major blots on church history. It was the church dominating the state. When the church seeks to dominate the state, it does not achieve its designed end. For the simple reason, you can't make people believe what they refuse to believe or behave the way they refuse to behave. What about the possibility of the state dominating the church? There have been attempts by dictatorial rule of the left or the right, of totalitarian regimes of the left and the right, to try to dominate the church. The situation has never, ever been one in which people have been free as a matter of conscience to worship and to serve the living God as 1 Timothy chapter 2 advocates. And therefore, from a historical point of view, we would not accept that that is the approach, that the state should dominate the church. Should then the church and the state have mutually exclusive roles? Should there be a wall of separation between church and state, over which neither should pass. Well, there are strong advocates of this, strangely enough, from Christians and from secularists. It's it's amazing what strange bedfellows you can get when it comes to politics. There are Christians who say the task of the Christian church is to deal with spiritual issues and spiritual issues only, and they've no business monkeying around in civic affairs. For instance, 
The Westminster Confession says, synods and councils are to handle or conclude nothing but that which is ecclesiastical. And that is the principle upon which Presbyterian churches operate to this day. So there are those who would say there has to be a strong position of the church where they have an exclusive role, and the exclusive role is to deal only with spiritual matters. There are secularists who would say a similar thing. They would say under no circumstances should the church ever be meddling with civic affairs. Leave that up to the politicians. The politicians will do their thing, government will do their thing, and the church will do its thing, and never the two shall mix. Well, does it work? I think the fact of the matter is this. The bigger government becomes, the more inevitably it imposes on private life. And the more the church does its job, the more it affects people's moral stance. And their moral stance should affect their political affiliations. That being the case, it seems to me totally unrealistic to suggest that you can have church and state have mutually exclusive roles. Which leads us to the fourth possibility, and that is that the relationship between church and state should be one of mutually influential roles. I firmly believe that the responsibility of the church is to be so relating to government structures that it is being persuasive about the things that really matter as far as God's intervention in society is concerned. I believe the church should be speaking to government at least three issues. Number one, restraining evil promoting human welfare, and providing freedom. These are clearly issues to which the Bible speaks clearly, relentlessly, constantly, and forcefully. Therefore, if the church would accept that is where the government should be working, and we should be communicating to them, and sharing with them, and influencing them in these areas, both as individual Christians, in our areas of influence, and as the church as a whole, I believe that we're getting halfway there. What should be the role of the church? Let me identify four things for you very quickly indeed. Number one, the church should be clearly and unequivocally enunciating biblical principles. If the church doesn't, if the church does not communicate with government what biblical principles are, how in the world is government going to find out? That's our responsibility. Secondly, I believe that the church should limit social action to causes with clear biblical mandates. It is all too easy for the church to get off into all kinds of issues upon which the Bible is utterly silent and on which it is extremely difficult to find what biblical principle obtains. When the moral majority was in its heyday, I was trying desperately hard to figure where the Panama Canal fitted into the Bible. I couldn't find it. I found the Red Sea. I couldn't find the Panama Canal. Little later on, when Pat Robertson came into his heyday, I tried long and hard to find out what the Bible had to say on a balanced budget. I couldn't find it. It wasn't there. The point is, I believe that the Christian church should be enunciating biblical principles, but limiting social action to causes with clear biblical mandates. Three, I believe that the church of Jesus Christ should not get into the down in the gutter 
pragmatic political machinations that are necessary in a democracy. For one very simple reason. The church doesn't have the expertise. This doesn't mean that individual Christians don't have the expertise and should utilize it. The church as a whole does not have the expertise to get into the political cut and thrust. The church as a whole has extreme difficulty believing in the art of the possible, working in areas of compromise. The church has its principles upon which it is not prepared to compromise. The church has real problems in the political arena. Because it does, it doesn't function very well there, makes a fool of itself not infrequently, brings discredit on the church, which means that people discredit the gospel and eventually discredit God. And we shouldn't allow ourselves to be maneuvered into situations where we don't belong and where we don't function very well. Fourthly, I believe the church should be making sure that as it uses persuasion with government in terms of proclamation and in terms of personal influence, it should be done in a manner, in conduct and in speech that is compatible with Christian principles. The problem is, when you get into the political arena, it gets mean and it gets nasty and sometimes the cacophony of noise has nothing to do with Christian winsomeness and Christian grace. Let me conclude with one simple little story. Many years ago, I was in South Africa. I've been there many times. I was deeply concerned about what was going on there from a Christian point of view, and I spent a lot of time studying the whole scene. When I came home, a friend of mine said he'd been invited to go to South Africa, and would I brief him on my understanding of the scene there, which I was glad to do. Off he went, He was a guest of the government. They paid his expenses. And he came back, asked to have lunch, sat me down and said, Stuart, you could not have been more wrong about South Africa. You're wrong on every point. I said, well, put me right then. So he then began to explain the South African's government point of view, which incidentally has been totally repudiated since by that same government. He went into great explanation of it, and I said, that is exactly the South African government's party line. Let me ask you one question. Where exactly does your theology fit into that? His response was very interesting. He said, that's what I've got to work on next. I said, no, no, that's not where you start. But you see, that is the problem. So often our politics are simply a reflection of our own personal economics or a reflection of our own family heritage, and really a reflection of a carefully thought-out theological position. And the thing that I believe the church as a whole, and Christians individually need to do, is to arrive at some solid theological conviction from which their involvement in the relationship of church and state will develop. Now, I don't expect you to necessarily agree with all that I've said, but I trust that there will be things there that will help us understand Romans 13, and perhaps the Spirit of God can help us think through some of these issues, and that is my prayer. And now, here's Stuart with some answers to questions about his message today. Stuart, as Christians, we are called to obey the government. What about when we see the government engaging in practices that we know grieve God's heart? 
Well, if I can rephrase this this question, it's it's really a question about is there a ever a legitimacy to civil disobedience? Well, we do have a specific answer to that in 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 scripture. You you will remember that when Peter and John were on trial before the Sanhedrin, the the ruling authority in Jerusalem, the government, if you like, of Jerusalem at the time, that the members of the Sanhedrin told Peter and John that they had to stop doing what they were doing. They had to stop preaching that Jesus had risen from the dead, etc., etc. They were forbidden to do it. And Peter's response to that was, we must obey God rather than man. So that is the fundamental position on civil disobedience. In other words, if the government tells me to do something that is flatly contradictory to what God has told us to do, then we must obey God rather than man. We must do it respectively, we must do it honorably, and we must be prepared to take the consequences, but there is a place for it. Stuart, you said today that Christians should speak to the government about three things, restraining evil, promoting human welfare, and providing freedom. How do we engage in that conversation? There are many ways in which uh, Christians can and should speak to the government uh, about restraining evil, promoting human welfare, and providing freedom. Uh, Obviously, one of the ways that we do it is by engaging in the political system of the country of which we are a part. There's no question about it that there's no shortage of opportunities in the the democracy of the United States and other democratic countries that uh, where people are listening to the broadcast. There's ample opportunity for us to speak into the situation. Uh, You probably think, well, it doesn't do any good, and you may not be far wrong. But on the other hand, you you can get into the process yourself, run for school board, or if you don't want to run for the school board, at least be actively involved in town hall meetings in, in the area in which you live. There are all kinds of non-government organizations and agencies that are dealing uh, with the three issues that you mentioned in the question, I would say get involved in one of those uh, and make your presence known. But uh, recognize that uh, you, you are only one person and you can't do everything, but you can do something. How are you to process the unnerving events happening all around you in today's world? Does the Bible offer you any hope, help, or guidance? The answer, of course, is yes. Discover how God's Spirit works in you to transform you and renew your thoughts no matter what's going on around you with Stuart Briscoe's powerful six-message series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed-Up World. Drawing from Romans 12, Stuart discusses how you can respond with wisdom and courage in today's most distressing circumstances. You'll discover how the Spirit of God is ever faithful, giving you the grace to think clearly in a messed up world. We'll send you this series as thanks for your gift of support to help more people experience life through the resources and teachings of telling the truth. Generous friends like you 
keep broadcasts like today's going, often reaching places where the gospel hasn't yet made inroads. So if you've never given before, please consider a gift today to help keep God's word going out around the world. And remember to request your copy of Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World when you call and give. 1-800-889-5388. 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online when you visit tellingthetruth.org. Thank you for listening today. Join us again as the Briscoes share more powerful truth from God's Word. Experience abundant life in Christ next time on Telling the Truth.